morning, church. It's good to see all of you today. We are so glad that you are with us. I want to welcome the first-time guests. I've, I've got to see a number. Maybe you've got somebody getting baptized today. We're just so grateful that you're here with us this morning as well as those with us online. Uh, before I jump into our message this morning, though, I want to let you know about an opportunity that is coming in just shy of a month. Uh, one of the things we say around here is we value the Word of God. That's why we get up every Sunday. We open the Word of God. It's important. It's critical for our faith that we dig into the Word. And one of the things I talk about when we go to the Bible is what? The context. What's the context? Because if we don't understand the context of a passage that we look at, then we oftentimes can come up with crazy ideas. The problem is, if you're like you or me, there's some of us that, that like we go to Scripture. Maybe you're a new believer and you open the Bible and you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. Like, I don't know what's going on. But it's possible you've been following Christ for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and you still go to Scripture and you're like, I just have a hard time understanding it. Well, we want to help you in that journey. And so what we're doing on March 19th, March 19th, it's a Saturday morning from 9 until noon, is we have a partnership with a seminary, Pillar Seminary, uh, does Bible teaching, training, doctoral level people. They're smart, but they also have a way to communicate in a very easy way and an understandable way. And so they're going to be here that morning. We got two faculty that are coming that morning. They're going to walk us through the book of Psalms. A lot of us like the book of Psalms because it seems pretty easy, but there's actually some really critical things that we need to be aware of when we approach the book of Psalms. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity that you're going to have to get registered for. You can find information about it on our website or our app uh, to be a part of that morning. Uh, and there is a fee associated with it. It's going to cost $20 per person to engage in this. But trust me, you want to sign up in the next three weeks because the last week the price goes to $35. For that, for that fee of $20, you're actually going to get a workbook that you're going to work through and you'll be able to take that with you for the rest of your life to be able to approach the book of Psalms. It's going to be a really, really helpful thing for you. And so there's a lot of people like, oh, I just want to grow. I want to learn more. Okay, take advantage of this opportunity. All right, get yourself registered. Let's be a part of that, okay? Cool. Well, we are going to go ahead and jump into our message this morning as we continue in the series that we have been in, The Jesus Way, Volume 2, as we're looking through the back half of the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at the life and the words of Jesus. And my guess is if you've been around, you're seeing the truth that the Jesus Way isn't always the easy way, right? It just isn't, okay? Uh, last week, if you missed out, last week we talked about Fuzzy Jesus. How many remember Fuzzy Jesus, okay? If you aren't laughing, you weren't here last week. You don't know what I'm talking about. You need to go back and watch last week's message. But uh, this morning, once again, we are going to hear some challenging words from Jesus. He's going to get in our grill a little bit on this one, okay? And so whether you are uh, new to faith or whether you've been following Jesus a long time, I think this is going to be one that challenges you. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As you turn there, uh, we're just about to wrap up with the book of Matthew in our reading plan. We're going to the book of Mark this next week. And so if you haven't been following along, jump in. Now's the perfect time to jump in, all right? Would you stand with me? As we're gonna join in reading this here, Mark chapter 10. This one's a little bit longer, so you gotta stick with me. It's a little bit of a story though, so. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man fell face down. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you want to speak to us today. And so we just pause everything that we got going on and we say we want to hear you. So God, speak clearly, Lord. We are listening. We are focused on your word today. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. All right, well, the title of the message this morning is Good Question. Good Question. Because this man comes to Jesus with what I would consider a very good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know that there are some people who ask dumb questions, right? <laughs> okay. You know that phrase, there are, is no such thing as a dumb question? We all know that's a lie, right? <laughs> like, clearly, there are some dumb questions. And we know the people when they're coming, like, here comes a dumb question, right? When I was, uh, last year, I was coaching my son Asher's basketball team. Uh, third grade basketball team, you know, and so I get him together, and there was one kid, bless his soul, he was, he was great, but he would just drive me crazy with the things he would say or the things that he would ask, and so we'd be in the middle of a game, right? We're doing the game first half, like they're kind of all over the place, and so I'm pep-talking him at halftime. Here we go, guys. Here's what we're going to do, okay? Really important stuff. I would see, like, like, guys, pay attention out there, okay? Like, put the basket in, ball in the right basket. Can we just do the fundamentals right out there, okay? And there would inevitably be this one kid who would, you know, in the middle of me talking, he would go... Mr. Lenz, like, yes, yes, my sister has a puppy. I'm like, what does that have to do with the game we have going on here? And then, and then, and then I have a question. Okay, you have a question. What's your question? What do we do if the other team makes a three-pointer? I said, you guys are awful. Nobody's making a three-pointer, okay? Like, this isn't, don't even worry about it. Eventually, I just said, put your, we're not taking questions right now, bud, Okay. We're not going to either. Just dumb questions out there, okay? But this is not a dumb question. Like, this is probably the most important question we could ever ask. And in fact, if there's anyone in the history of humanity that we would want to ask this question to, it would be Jesus. And so it's important to see what is he actually saying here. So we get verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, immediately in this passage, Jesus forces the man to come to terms with who it is he is talking to. Because if you notice, he approaches Jesus and says, good teacher. And what's Jesus' response? Only God's good, right? Only God's good, which is him saying, are you ready to acknowledge who I really am? Are you ready to acknowledge who you're actually talking to? And so Jesus says this, and then he goes on and he shares uh, several of the Ten Commandments. That's what he's listing here, just boom, 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 going through the Ten Commandments. We get to verse number 20, and the guy responds, says, Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, the response of this man is actually very, very telling. Why? Because he doesn't lead with his weakness. He leads with his strength. He comes and he says, all this I've done. Like, Jesus, I've been doing it all. I'm doing all the things. I am killing it, Jesus, okay? And, and it's this mindset that he has. It's this legalistic righteousness that was so prevalent at the time. 
That's what he's coming from. He's like, I got to do all the right. If I do the right things, then, then he's got to be okay with me. He's got to like me. And unfortunately, this is a mindset that still exists. It's this one that says, if I work hard enough, right? If I do all the things just the right way and I can prove my worthiness, then I'll deserve eternal life. This guy's trying to be a good person. He's trying to do the right things. And, and you can say, well, way to go. That's, that's nice. He's even coming to Jesus saying, hey, did I miss anything? Like I'm doing all this stuff. Is there anything I've missed? I got to make sure I clean this thing up. Is there anything I need to add to my life, Jesus? Is there anything I should subtract from my life, Jesus, to ensure that I get eternal life? It's a worthy endeavor. Maybe something all of us should probably pursue in some way. And I love the words that Jesus gives next. What does he say in verse 21? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He was going at things the totally wrong direction. He was missing the point. But hear this, isn't it comforting to know that we serve a God who loves us even in our ignorance? I don't know about you, but I feel ignorant a lot of the time still. Still, a lot of times I'm like, I'm sideways. I am missing things. I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm going the wrong. It's just thank God that you love me despite my ignorance, that you have compassion. I mean, that's the thing that they talk about in Scripture so often. Jesus, he came to Jerusalem, and it says he had compassion over Jerusalem. He comes up to people who don't know what they're doing. He has, he has compassion on them. Why? They're sheep without a shepherd. And when he looks at you, some of you walk in the doors on a Sunday basis, and you're just like, I don't know if God really cares. I don't really know. I'm just trying my best. I mean, listen, your God loves you, he, even when you're screwing it up, even when you don't understand, even when you're going side, even in your ignorance, God loves you. And he's pursuing you. And that should give you confidence. That should give you boldness to know that that's what my God is like. That is who he is. I think about this and I, I think about my, my own kids, this interaction that takes place. So when my kids were younger, they used to make messes when they were little. And now they're older and they still make a lot of messes. <laughs> They're bigger messes now, but they can kind of clean up after themselves. But when my kids were really little, you know what I'm talking about. My little kids, you know, I got a kid who was maybe three at the time, and, and they would spill something. They would make a mess. They would say these words that, to be honest, as a parent, it warms your heart and, like, breaks your heart all at the same time. They'd say, they make a mess, they make a mess. Hey, Daddy, I'll clean it up. And if you're a parent, you know what that means. It's about to get messy in here, Right? Like they, they make a mess, they spill it, and they grab a pillow, and they just start rubbing the pillow around. Look at Daddy, I'm cleaning up. Yeah, yeah, you're cleaning up. Go, son, way to go. You know, it's, and, and, and I love it because in those moments, I wouldn't get mad at my kids. Like I'd be a little annoyed, but I wouldn't get mad at my kids. Why? Because I, I knew their heart. They wanted to make a difference. Like they wanted to get it right. They wanted to make things better. And that's exactly what this man is doing. And so Jesus looks at this man who's doing it the wrong, he's missing the point, right? But he looks at him in love because he cares for them. And so we get to verse number 21. And what does it say? Jesus responds. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That feels pretty extreme, right? It's like, Seriously, that's, that's what it takes, Jesus? I got to literally sell everything I have? That's how I'm going to follow you? That feels crazy over the top. But what we have to understand is in this moment, Jesus is doing two things. One of them is for the man, and one of them is for his disciples. If you're taking notes, I want you to write a couple things down, okay? Point number one in your notes should be this. Jesus is exposing an idol in this man's life. 
He's exposing an idol. He's literally putting a stumbling block right in front of this man's feet to show him where his priorities are actually at. Uh, We call this man, if you're familiar with scripture, we call this man the rich young ruler. Not all of that information is in this version, but actually there's three gospels that tell this story. And if you take all the little details from the different stories, you understand this guy's rich. He's got a lot of money, right? He's young. He's not some old wise man. He's, He's a young man and he's a ruler, which means he has authority. He has power. He has oversight, all these kind of things, all right? And so this man, I would interpret him as kind of the the young entrepreneur type mindset, probably an achiever type mindset, somebody who can get stuff done. And so he's coming to Jesus saying, what do I need to do to close the deal on this eternal life thing? Like, what do I got? Just just give me the details, Jesus, right? I'm going to make this thing happen. But he's missing the point because he's still trying to build his own kingdom. He's coming to Jesus saying, How do I make this thing work for myself? And when we think about an idol, we're talking about Jesus is exposing this man's idol. When we think about an idol, you might think about like a gold image, you know, maybe a little statue, something like that that you bow down to. And sure, those things exist, but I would guess that most of us probably don't have little gold idols in our home somewhere. But an idol is really anything that steals your allegiance and your affection, It might not be a literal idol, but it might as well be. And and some of you might need to write this down. Whatever owns you is your God. Whatever owns you is your God. Whatever has your affection, whatever has all of your control, right? That's the thing that actually, it's great. You say, I go to church. I love Jesus. Doesn't matter what you say. What actually owns you? What has control of your decision making? What is the thing that influences you above everything else? That is actually your God. You may never say it out loud. You would never acknowledge that, but that's in reality who your God is. And so uh, we, we get this idea. We're going to talk about, uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about idols, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. But, but this interaction that Jesus has with this man makes it really, really clear that this man's wealth is more important than eternal life. In his mind, the cost is too high to follow Jesus. How do we know that? Because when Jesus gives him this call, it says the man turns and he walks away. He says, mm, stakes are too high for me. I'm not going to go there. Now for us, you would say, well, maybe Jesus isn't asking me to sell everything I've got. Maybe he's not asking you to sell everything you got. But the question is, if Jesus came to us today and he meddled with our idol, what would our response be? If he came and said, hey, you got to lay this thing down. Whatever it is, I don't know what it is for you. It might be different, but you've got to lay this thing. If you, if you are faced with that opportunity, what would your response be? Would you say, yeah, Jesus, I give it to you? Or would you say, um, I'm not so sure about that, okay? Every one of us has to understand that. And so we get this. Jesus is exposing an idol in this man's life, but, but there's the second thing. He's, he's talking to the disciples, all right? And the second point you need to put down is this. How do we measure success? See, this is what Jesus is is challenging us. How is it that we are viewing success in our life and in the lives of other people? Look what it says in verse number 23. This is one of the hardest little sections that we read in scripture. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
Verse 26, the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Now, this passage is an often misunderstood passage. We have a hard time with this one. Now, there is clearly a warning here, and we're going to get to that in a second. Jesus is giving all of us a warning, okay? But it's more than just a warning. He's trying to teach something. Now, why can this be a, a scary passage? This is a scary passage, and it should be for every one of us. Why? Because most of us, if not all of us, are rich. Now, you don't think that. Like, I don't think that naturally, because when I look around, I'm like, no, nah, rich people are like the super rich. No, compared to the rest of the world, we're actually pretty rich, right? Even the poor amongst us have it better off than a lot of people around the world, okay? And so we just have to understand that when I read this passage, it messes with me because I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm the rich guy here. This doesn't bode well for me, you know? And so the, the question is, what do we do with that? And there's this phrase that says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's scary to think about that because you're like, that's not possible. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. So you're saying it's impossible for me to enter the kingdom of God. That's what this passage is saying. And see, because people get scared by this passage throughout the history of Christianity, people have tried to kind of step their way around this passage. There's actually a guy who, who put out this whole idea that there was a gate into Jerusalem, and the gate into Jerusalem was called the eye of the needle. And it was a little bit lower, and so to get your camel in, you had to kind of get him down on his knees to get him to crawl in. Guess what? Totally made up. <laughs> Not true at all. All right, but people put up, why did they say that? because they're trying to work around this thing. How can we make this more palatable for all of us? There's also other people who say, well, the word camel on rare occasion can mean rope. So maybe he's just saying, a rope, it would be hard. Listen, you're not getting a rope through a needle. I have a needle either. It doesn't really matter. Like the, the clear reading is what the intention is meant. This is supposed to be extreme for the people who hear it. Why? Again, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something and he's trying to teach us something. And it all comes down to how do we measure success? Here's how they viewed success in Jewish culture. Wealth equals blessed, poor equals cursed. It's that simple. You wanna understand how to view people in the world? If you got people with money and stuff, they're blessed. God loves them. They must be doing something right. They're the ones we want to watch, okay? You see somebody who's poor, they have been cursed of God, and it's their own fault that they're poor, and they have done something wrong, and God is, this is their, just the punishment on them. Now, we would never say these things out loud, but let's be honest, we can carry the same mindset into our world today. A mindset that says, oh, well, who do I want to be like? I want to be like the people who are wealthy and God said, because clearly they're doing something right. I should model my life after them. Or we see somebody who's struggling. Maybe they're poor and you're like, man, what's, what's wrong with them? They must have got, God must not really love those people, whatever. And here's what Jesus is saying. You got to blow this thing up completely. Okay, this isn't how my kingdom works. This is not how I see things. You know, and there's, there are times where I see people who, who are extremely wealthy and they think, well, clearly God's on my side. God's loving everything I'm doing and they're steeped in sin, but they don't think so because, well, I'm being blessed. They've got the wrong mindset. And in the same way, I know people who are poor, who are struggling, they're like, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. But the reality is it has nothing to do with your wealth. Listen, okay? God loves you. He cares about you desperately, okay? Some of you need to hear that this morning. And so to the disciples, here's what this means. If the rich can't inherit eternal life, then what hope is there for us? That's what he's trying to teach them. 
That's why they said they, they looked, they're even more amazed. They're like, well, who then can be saved? If the rich people, they're the blessed ones. They're the one God cares. If they can't be saved, we're all in serious trouble here. And I love Jesus' response here. What does he say? With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Right? And so... So we get to verse number 31, which is what we read at the very end. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Here's something you have to understand. That we have a perspective right now as we look around the world. In the fullness of time, a lot of the things that we think we see are probably wrong. What do I mean? There are people right now who... Possibly, let's speak spiritually for a second. There are spiritual leaders out there. They're the famous one. They're the Instagram famous ones, right? Posting all the quotes, doing all those things. In the fullness of time, we may realize that some of those people were actually the last. And then there are people in corners of the world right now serving faithfully to Christ that we don't ever know their name of. Nobody will ever know of them. In the fullness of time, it will be revealed that they are the greatest in the kingdom of God. And I even look at our church. In our church, I'm the guy who stands on the stage up here, right? I'm up here, and there's the perception of, like, I'm the expert up here, and all you guys are just learning from my brilliance up here, okay? <laughs> but the reality is, like, I'm, I'm with y'all, okay? We're in the same boat. And because I'm up here, I actually get a lot of accolades I probably don't deserve, Okay? And so the, the reality is there are people in our congregation sitting out there who are greater in the kingdom of God than I am because you, nobody knows your name, nobody talks about you, but you are faithfully serving God day after day after day. And Jesus is saying, you got to blow up the box. You got to think differently. How do we view success? Success in the kingdom of God is only for those who surrender everything and lay it down to him. You want eternal life? It's going to come in a different way. And this should be good news for us, right? Because some of you are like, I don't know if I could ever be good enough. You're right. You can't. You're never going to be good enough. Let it go, okay? Just let it go. You're never going to be good enough. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus said, I can do all things. The impossible thing, like saving your very soul, I can do that. And I will do that through Christ, okay? That's the good news of the gospel, that there's life available for every one of us, and it's a miracle every single time. You know, we have people in our lives sometimes that we look at and like, oh, that's a good dude. That's a good dude. And it's possible you think, oh, God's got to let that guy in just, just because he's a good dude. And then you get other people like, oh, man, it'd be a miracle for that person to get saved. You know, you got those people in your life. You're like, oh, God, this is going to take a miracle. There's no difference between those two people. Because apart from Christ, we're in the same position. And Jesus says, with me, all things are possible. Doesn't matter. All right, so I want to get to the big so what. And if you're new around here, I always have a big so what. So what, what's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else that I've shared with you this morning, I want you to hold on to this truth. Eternal life doesn't come by adding or subtracting, but by surrendering. Doesn't come by adding or subtracting, but by surrendering. What do I mean by that? See, the people will come to church because they feel like they need to add a little Jesus to their life, Right? Sprinkle, you hear me say that sometimes, just sprinkle a little Jesus on my life and everything will get better, right? But that's not actually going to solve your problem in and of itself, just adding a little Jesus. In the same way, I have people who come to church and they just say, I just, I got to get my stuff together. I got I to stop talking like that. I got I to gotta, I gotta get some things fixed and I'm going to come to church and I can do those things. 
Those are all good things. Listen, adding some Jesus in your life, that's a good thing, right? Subtracting, saying, ah, I gotta get my language fixed, or I gotta do it, whatever it is. Like those are good things, but in and of themselves, they're not gonna give you eternal life. They just aren't. It's not about adding and subtracting. It's about surrendering. It's about saying, God, I offer everything I have to you, right? That's the step. That's the response. It is the only response that has life available for you. We don't get the joy of just like, I'm a good church person. Guess what? Heaven ain't gonna be filled with good church people. They're gonna be filled with surrendered people who made Christ their Lord and depended on him for their salvation. That's where heaven is, okay? And so for some of us, we need to get shaken out of this mindset that just says, I'm trying to be a good person, trying to be a good person. That's a great thing to do, okay? But at the end of the day, you need to be a saved person. You need someone to rescue you. You need to do something, someone to do the impossible in your life. And that only happens through Christ. And he is standing with arms wide open, say, come, come, come to me, surrender your life. And I will give you zoe, eternal, abundant, overflowing life. It's only found in him. And it's a miracle every single time. All right, there may be somebody here this morning. You just need to, you need to take a step of surrender. You need to give your life to Christ. Listen, there is Zoe life for you today. And I pray that you would step into it with everything you've got, okay? But I want to close by talking for a little bit here to the followers of Christ, okay? Because if you're a follower of Christ like I am, then I would guess you'll resonate with what I'm about to say because I believe that every follower of Christ still struggles with what I will call the exempt box, We say, God, I surrender my life to you. I give everything to you, everything I have, except for the stuff I'm gonna put in this box. (laughs) And for every one of us, it's a little bit different. Every one of us has different things that we hold on to, things that trip us up, that, that we just have a hard time letting go of. Now, for the guy in the story, what do we have? Right? We got the money. It's the money. It's the stuff. It's the things. And honestly, for a lot of us, we share in the same issue, right? We say, man, this is, this is something. God, God, you have all my life. I give everything to you. I surrender everything to you, but don't touch my money, right? Don't touch my stuff. Like, that's mine. I work hard for that, Jesus. Don't touch it. And I think here's the problem is that when we put things into the exempt box, those things actually become our God. They're the things that are calling the shots. They're the things that actually end up controlling us. Okay? Now, again, in this story is the intention. If you want to follow Christ, you must sell everything you have. Jesus didn't ask every person to do that. He asked this man to do it. Why? Because it was clearly a God in his life. Okay? But when it comes to our money, is it a God? Is that the thing that controls? Why do I challenge everyone toward the tithe? Is it because I want to force you to give more? No. It's because when we take the step to tithe, when we give God our first 10%, what does it do? It's saying, God, I'm taking my money out of the exempt box. It's yours. It's yours. I, I want to break every chain in my heart that would say I'm worshiping the money, that I'm all about this. Instead, God, I want to say it's all yours. It's all yours. I'm only going to give you the first 10%, but in my mind, I know all my money is yours. And whatever you ask, I'm willing to surrender it. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to lay it all down, right? No, we're not trying to earn. We're not trying to prove. It's in response to the life and the salvation he's already given us, okay? So for some of us, it's our money. But for others of us, we put our calendar in the exempt box, This is like the mother of all calendars. Look at the size of this thing. I'm sure you just use your phone or something like that. But we have our calendar. What do I mean? So God, I'll give you you that hour on Sunday, you know. 
give you little moments here and there or whatever, but I'm too busy. Like, I'm too busy. Like, don't try to tell, don't mess with my schedule, God. Like, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to engage. I don't have time for any of those things. Like, I just, I'll just give you a little bit, whatever. And we say, nope, this is in the box. You see, we put ourselves in our calendar as a God over our life now. We don't give control. See, we say, God, I surrender it all to you until it messes with my schedule. Then it becomes an issue. It's not just that, then. We've got um, things like our <laughs> entertainment. Entertainment. I don't know what you do for entertainment. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you like to watch certain movies or you binge watch shows or whatever it is. You like the gaming. This is Mario Kart 8. Anybody like Mario Kart 8? This is my son's Mario Kart game. <laughs> and you talk about entertainment. And you say, well, well, we can't have it. Of course you can have entertainment. The question is, the problem is that so often in our lives we say, God, I surrender to you. I live for you. Everything I have is you. As long as I can still do what I want to do over here. As long as I can entertain myself. I know that there's probably some stuff in this box that you wouldn't really love and I probably shouldn't engage in. So let's just keep this over here tidy in my exempt box. Then I don't have to feel bad about it. And I would say if we're going to follow Christ, then the challenge is how do we bring this stuff to the light so that we don't allow ourselves to engage in things that are in conflict? with what, like, I don't want to be a hypocrite, and my guess is you don't want to be a hypocrite either. So how can we say, God, I serve you, and I worship you, and I want to surrender, and I want to be wholly set apart, and yet we're doing this stuff that's taken us the wrong way? Okay. And I'm going to meddle just for a second. I'm sorry. You'll have to deal with it. But there are, um, Amber and I hear about it on a regular basis. There are people, there are marriages that are falling apart. Forget the spiritual atmosphere. There are, there are marriages that are falling apart because the husbands spend all day long playing video games. And they will never talk to their spouse. And I'm just going to say it. Like, you, you're exchanging things in the wrong way. You're, you're making a really, really bad trade in that moment. Okay, forget the eternal stuff for a second. You are literally ruining your marriage over a video game. My challenge is maybe you need to pull that out. Does it mean you're, you're never going to play a video? I'm not saying you're never going to play a video game. You're never going to see a movie. You're never going to do those things. What I'm saying is are those things surrendered to Christ to say, God, I, I give you permission to lead and to guide me, to bring conviction in my heart when I'm kind of going the wrong direction or if I've got my priorities out of place. That's the challenge, okay? For others of us, I'm going to not dig in the box. I'm going dig to dig into my uh, pocket here. This is what we put in our exempt box. We take our phone, right? How, much, how many hours do you spend on your phone? How much time do you spend on your phone? It's really easy to say, God, I, I worship you, I give you, but I spend all of my time on this thing. I spend hours strolling social media and doing all those kind of things. I spend hours doing things that I don't necessarily need to play some dumb game again on my phone, whatever it is. That's fine, you can do those things, but I'm, what I'm asking is, have you kind of put it over here and said, God, I'm not really gonna, let, I'm not really gonna listen to your voice on this thing? If you challenge me, then I'm just still going to hold on to it. And the challenge for us as followers is to say, okay, God, where, where are you meddling here a little bit? Maybe I, maybe I haven't really surrendered this thing. Because this can eat up your entertainment, your time, your calendar, your priorities, your emotional security based on how much social media you're consuming. It can do a lot of things for you, positively and negatively. And the question is, is this device surrendered or have you put it in your exempt box? Say, so God, I'm just going to do things on my own over here. There's a couple other things in my box over here. Like that. Um, maybe it's your words. It's your words. You know, for some of us, we say, man, I serve Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm surrendered to you, but this is just how I am. It's just how I talk, you know? Deal with it, okay? Well, if you're going to surrender everything to Christ, that means even your mouth. 
The words that come out of your mouth, how do you speak? Are you lifting people up? Or are you tearing them down? Are you building people up? Or are you destroying them? What do you do with your mouth? And for every one of us, we have to say, okay, God, I, I have a tendency to go this direction, but God, I want to be surrendered, not just in idea, but in actuality. When it comes to the way I speak, God, may I be surrendered, and so I lay this thing down for you, okay? For others of you, maybe it's, it's your thoughts. Do you like my cutouts this morning? I was doing arts and crafts this afternoon. I'm sitting in the office cutting these things out, and I'm like, man, I never thought in ministry this is what I would be doing with my life. It's cutting out shapes, but thought bubble, okay? Your thoughts, and, and naturally when you think about thoughts, um, I think it's easy to go down the road of like, oh, if you're having dirty thoughts, you should surrender those, you know, and you're like, I'm sitting lusting and whatever, and I put those in my exam box. That's, I get that, that's one thing. But I'm gonna talk about something else because I think that we all have a tendency Rather than, than thinking and believing the truths that God has spoken over us, we believe the lies that have been spoken over us. It doesn't matter. It might be a lie that was spoken over you by a parent, by a teacher, by a coach, by a sibling, by a friend, right? By a spouse. It might be a lie you've been telling yourself for years. But rather than, rather than saying, God, I bring that thought that I know is in conflict with, rather than bringing that thought and surrendering to him and saying, God, what do you say about me? And I'm going to choose to believe that. Instead of that, we take those thoughts and we stick them in our exempt box and we play them on play over and over and over and over, repeat over and over and over and over again. And the challenge for us is to say, God, can we lay that down? That thought that's taking me the wrong way. What does scripture say? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? When you have a thought and it's in conflict with the word of God, then you say, I'm going to take that thing I'm going to remove it, and I'm going to replace it with what God says. Because what he says about you is the truest thing about you, okay? It's not what your mama says. It's not what you say. It's not what anybody else says. What does God say about you? That's the truth. That's what we need to hold on. But for some of us, we've been believing the wrong thing. The last one is some of us put our heart in the exempt box. What do I mean by that? We go through the motions, we do all the things, I go to church, I go to the, do the spiritual things, whatever, but at the end of the day, I kind of keep my heart to myself. I only give God certain access. And why do we do that? I think there's a lot of reasons, everybody's a little bit different for why they might do that, but I think for a lot of us, the reason we don't go all in and give God everything of our heart is because we're afraid of what he might ask of us if we do. We might say, God, if I give everything, then I might have to go to you know, some other country as a missionary, or I might have to give up something. I might, you might ask something that I don't want to do, like the guy, you know, like, give, me all your, give all the money away. Like, I don't want to do that. So, so we withhold, right? And I think the challenge for us and the call, you want to be a follower of Christ. You want the eternal life. I want it. You want it. Here's how it happens. You take everything out of the exempt box and say, God, it's all yours. I lay it all down for you. And sometimes he's going to ask you to do, I said, somebody after first service was saying, well, Greg, I got a boat. And so if I, if I, if I take the boat out of the exempt box, you might never get to ride on it, Greg. <laughs> I said, okay. The point of the message is not, you cannot have anything. The point is that everything I have is in submission to Christ. Yep. And if he asks me, it doesn't matter what anybody else tells me, I'm going to submit that thing to him. Because he might ask you to sell that boat and do something. Or he might tell you to use that boat for the, for the sake of the kingdom in some way to bless other people. I don't know. See, the goal isn't let's just get rid of everything. It's let's be obedient to our king. Amen. That's the goal. That's what a kingdom person does. 
That's what it looks like to follow him completely. So I want to get to a final uh, story here. And um, this is Jesus gave a parable uh, in the book of Matthew 13. And there's two of them. They're really short ones. And I love these stories because they are jam-packed in like three verses, okay? Here's what it says in Matthew 13. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, I love that, in his joy. Why? Because he understood something. This wasn't begrudging. This wasn't because he had to. In his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field that had the treasure in it. It goes on, and it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What is Jesus trying to say? This is what the kingdom of God is like. It is so much more, so infinitely valuable compared to anything else that you could have that the right decision, the right trade, the right thing that you would do is to lay everything else down for the sake of God's kingdom because it's eternal. It is something that will never end and that's the better deal. Does what you have in your hand, is it something that inspires you and you love? Absolutely. We all have things in our life that we love, but holding on to that and forsaking God's kingdom is a stupid decision. It's just a really dumb, it's a bad investment. And he's saying, listen, no, invest in the thing that matters. Sell everything you've got for the kingdom because that's the only thing that will last forever. And what I love is in the first one where he says, in his joy, why? Because when you see our God and you know who he is, you understand this isn't something by compulsion. This isn't something you have to do. This is the right thing. And you know, you feel it because God is worth it. He is infinitely more valuable than anything else we could have or pursue in this life. And he's inviting us into something better. And so if you're here this morning and you say, man, I'd love to experience eternal life. Well, God is inviting you. He's made that available. He's made the miracle available through Christ. And I'm gonna give you a chance to respond to him. For those of you who would say you're a follower of Christ, it's possible there's something that's in your box. That today you need to say, God, I need to lay it down. And so I'm going to leave you with a challenge. And the challenge is this. Take what's in the box. uh, Trade what's in the box for what matters most. My guess is you might have more than one thing in your box. I probably do. So rather than trying to think about all the things, what if we all today just said, okay, God, Holy Spirit, would you speak one area of my life that I have a tendency to put in my exempt box? Can you show that to me? And then, Lord, I want to surrender that thing to you. I want to lay it down. And I'm going to need help because I'm probably going to shove it back in the exempt box again next week. I'm going to need your help. But God, could I be on a journey of surrender? Because surrender isn't a perfect moment. Like, surrendered, boom, done. No, it's a journey, day after day, surrendering again, dying to ourselves, saying, God, I want to give you control of everything. Okay? So I'm going to invite you to pray. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room? Let's respond to God together. God, we thank you so much for your invitation. You are always inviting us to something better. You're always inviting us to life, Anna. And instead of experiencing life, a lot of times we're the dummies over here sucking on faucets that are dry, trying to get some water on things that were never intended to fill our spirits and our souls. So God, we ask that you forgive us of that. And I pray that you would just speak to our hearts right now, God, speak to our hearts. I just want to give you a moment, give you 20, 30 seconds. And can you just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what's one thing that I tend to put in my exempt box? Ask the Holy Spirit to just speak to you. And I've been praying. There's been a group praying with you. We were praying this morning at 8 o'clock, praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to every one of us. Just one thing. God, what is one thing? I'm going to give you a moment just to allow the Spirit to speak to you individually.
Father, I pray for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. You know us, you know our hearts, and we're just so grateful that you look on us with love, compassion. We thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray, God, in our you know, ignorance at times, we tend to go in the wrong direction and go after the wrong things. And so, Lord, I pray you just speak to our hearts. And Lord, whatever those things are, whatever that one thing is, that we just tend to go the wrong direction. God, I pray you would help us to take it out of the box. And maybe we're gonna have to do that daily this week. Just take it out of the box and surrender it to you again. Take a practical step. Do something with us. Not just hear it, but do something about it, God. Would you help us to do that for your glory, God? Because at the end of the day, you are king. You are our Lord. You're the one that we turn to. You're the one that we love and care for. And we wanna give everything for you, Jesus. With every head bow and every eye closed, I wanna to talk to those who maybe wanna to respond to Christ. You need to respond to Christ because you've heard the invitation that you've been invited to experience eternal life, but it is only found, it's not in trying to be a better person, that's not gonna earn you your salvation. It is only found in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, making him the Lord and trusting in his death and resurrection for your salvation. If you're here this morning with every head bow and every eye closed and you wanna respond, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, I would encourage you right now across the room, would you just lift a hand and say, yeah, Yes, that's me. I want to respond to Jesus. Yeah. 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 If there's anybody online, I want to encourage you to do the same. Make, take a step right now wherever you're at. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to lift a hand and say, God, that's me. I'm going to give another moment. If there's anybody else who needs to respond to Jesus, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Yeah. Yeah, I invite you just where you're at to pray with me as I, as I pray this out. Just pray in your own heart just a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for pursuing me. Thank you for, for coming after me when I didn't even care about you. I believe that you died and you rose again. And God, I trust in your death and your resurrection. I admit I'm a sinner that needs saving. And so I confess my sin to you and I ask that you would come and purify me and cleanse me to make me new. And God, I make you the leader of my life. I make Jesus the Lord of my life. In everything, I wanna surrender completely. Whatever I have, no, no exempt boxes. It's all for you, God. We surrender to you right now, God. And we pray that you would help us to live out this journey of faith, living out a life of surrender to you, God. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said.